Good morning. We're going to be picking up where we left off in Jonah, starting in chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it should be up on the screen as I read it. Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? All right, good morning. Kids, where are you guys at this morning? Raise your hands up. All right, so who can tell me what, uh, what Jonah is famous for? What do you got, Liam? Yeah? What happened to him that's like crazy? He got eaten by a fish. All right, how many of you have been eaten by a fish before? How many of you have spent three days, three nights in the stomach of a fish? All right, this is a, this is a pretty crazy story. Jonah runs from God because he doesn't want to go to the Ninevites because they're his enemy, and he doesn't want them to hear about God, so he, he runs 
God sends a storm. He gets tossed in the sea. Then he gets eaten by a giant fish. God saves his life. He gets puked up on the shore. Uh, And then that's where we are today in our passage. He goes to Nineveh. He shares the news about about who God is and what God is going to do to their city if they don't repent. The people repent. God spares them. He, He saves them. He doesn't send judgment. And Jonah gets really mad about it. Jonah does not like it that God is going to save his enemies. Is that, is that a good response or is that a bad response? What do you think? Thumbs down for bad, thumbs up for good. It's bad, right? Even if we have enemies, even if we have people that we don't like very much, it's still a great thing for God to save them, right? Towards the end of the story, God gives Jonah this, this plant. He's sitting outside where it's hot. And then this plant grows up and gives him shade and protects him from the sun. And and Jonah, he he loves this plant. He's really thankful for it. Then God kills the plant and takes away his shade, and it's really hot, and Jonah gets really mad. And God asks him this question at the end, where he says, basically, you cared about this plant. Shouldn't I care about the lives of the people in Nineveh? Now, what's more important, a plant or a person? A person, right? Maybe some of you are like, I really love my house plants, and that's cool. Plants are great. But human beings are worth more than plants, right? And so God says, absolutely, you should have spared them. The point for us is that Jonah is, is only focused on himself and, and what he wants and how he feels. He, he doesn't think at all about the lives of his enemies. He doesn't think at all about the lives of all these people in the city. He doesn't even think about the animals in the city. He's, he's only focused on himself. And when we're only focused on ourselves, we often miss what God is trying to do in our lives and in the lives of others. And so kids, I would encourage you to go home and, and talk to your parents about what they learned, both about God from this passage and also what they learned about us as people from this passage and how Jesus uh, makes us better and, and brings good news into a bad situation. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into Jonah 3 and 4 this morning. Father, I thank you that you are a God who, who cares about your creation. You care about, about us and what happens to us. That even your enemies you care about. Even prophets who rebel against you you care about. That you care about us. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word to remind us of who you are and what you've done. To remind us of of who we are and who we can be in Jesus. And so we pray this morning that you would, you would send your spirit to, to encourage us, convict us, challenge us, to, to, to stir our hearts and our minds with your word this morning, that, that you would draw us closer to Jesus and that you would unburden us with the good news of the gospel this morning. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So last week in Jonah 1 and 2, we saw Jonah run from God Uh, get some sailors almost killed by a storm, get thrown in the sea, 
they start worshiping God. Jonah gets eaten by a fish. He, in the belly of the fish, he prays. He kind of recognizes where he had gone wrong, that he's running from God. He asks God to deliver him. God saves his life. He gets puked up on the beach. And that's kind of where the passage ended last week. And so today, we get to see Jonah actually go to Nineveh and deliver the message God has for him. So the Lord comes to Jonah again on the beach. He says, I want you to get up and go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah actually goes. And once he gets there, we find out that Jonah is, or Nineveh is an exceedingly great city. It says it would take him uh, you know, three days to kind of walk through the city, delivering this message all across it. Uh, but when he's about a third of the way through the city, the, the people start responding. He goes, he's calling out, he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, obviously, that's not, that's not the entirety of his message, right? He's given us kind of a, a short summary. He didn't just walk around saying, you know, 40 days, uh, Nineveh's going to be overthrown. And the reason why we know that there was more to the message is because we know how the people respond. In verse 5, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. So Jonah was telling them that in 40 days, the city was going to be overthrown. But, but as he's doing that, as he's going through the city, he's telling them about who God is because they need to know who this God is that's going to pour out judgment on the city. So the people respond with faith in God. They, they believed God, it says. So they, they called for a fast. They put on sackcloth. These are like clothes that kind of would exemplify their repentance. Uh, and it says from the, the greatest to the least of them. So all of the city is, is collectively responding with repentance to the message that Jonah has preached to them. And we find out that word of his message and the people's response, it, it makes its way to the king. So the king himself has found out about this and he too responds in repentance. And this is pretty significant because as we've gone through the minor prophets, one thing we've seen consistently is that for God's people, their rulers have been corrupt. They've led the people astray. They've been bad kings, bad rulers. But here, the king of Nineveh actually repents. He joins in with the people. He follows their lead and repents at Jonah's message. And he sends out this decree. Listen to what he says. He says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, so the leaders are unified in this. He says, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So they send out this message calling for a collective fast, calling for repentance from, from everyone at God's message. And specifically, he says, who knows, maybe God will turn and relent. And I think that that's really significant here because we see this, this, this disconnect between Jonah's response and the king of Nineveh's response, right? Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows that God will see their response and relent. But he, he, will, he will let them be spared in the judgment if they respond to him with grace and, or if they respond to him with faith and repentance. Jonah knows, and so he doesn't want to go. The king of Nineveh, he doesn't know. He says, maybe, maybe if we respond this way, then God will show grace and mercy. And yet he is the one that actually has faith in the situation. He leads his people well. 
And his hope is that God is going to relent and not send the judgment upon them. And then what we see happen in the passage is that God does the very thing that Jonah has been afraid all along that he would do. He does this, 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 this unimaginable thing in Jonah's mind, and, and it makes him exceedingly angry. Let's look at verse 10 and see this, this horrific thing that God has done. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So they repented. God responded with with grace and mercy rather than sending this judgment that he said he was going to send. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And now it kind of of all comes out, right? We, We find out why Jonah fled with haste, why he didn't want to go to Nineveh, why he did all these other things instead of doing what God called him to do. It's because he knew that God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He didn't want to go to Nineveh precisely because he thought this would happen. It's not because he didn't want to deliver bad news to Nineveh. It's because he didn't want to deliver good news to them. He knew that, that there would be a chance, even if it was a small one, that the people would respond in repentance and then God would spare them. And he didn't want that for them. He didn't want that for his enemies. He knew who God was. He knew how God would respond if they repented. And so he didn't want them to be given the chance to repent. But this is what happens. Jonah responds with with probably one of the most dramatic statements in the entire Bible. He says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He feels this way because God has shown grace to people that he doesn't want to be given grace. How do you think Jonah would be responding in this situation if, like, fire and brimstone were were raining down on Nineveh in this moment? Would he be upset? Would he be angry? Would he be frustrated with God for what's happening? I don't think so. But... Because God has given grace, because God has shown mercy, because he's giving you know, love and compassion to the Ninevites, he is, he's distraught, he's, he's beside himself. But look at how God responds to Nineveh, or to, to Jonah. And before we do that, before we think about how God responds, let's think about how we would respond to Jonah in this situation. Let's pretend Jonah is, you know, one of our teenage kids who maybe say things like this sometimes. He's been rebelling all along the way. And if we're God in this situation, right, we could have have taken his life at any point. 
When he rejected the call, we could have snuffed his life out. When he went you know, south instead of northeast. When he booked passage on the ship. When he gets on the ship and he's sleeping in the bottom instead of doing what we've told him to do. When he gets tossed in the ocean. There were all of these opportunities. When he's in the belly of the fish, we could have taken his life all along the way, but we didn't, and now he's asking for it. We would be like, you are welcome, here you go. But God isn't like us. And thank God he's not like us. He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he relents at giving disaster. And instead of taking Jonah's life, he asks him a question. He says, do you do well to be angry? Now, what's the answer to this question? Does Jonah do well to be angry? No, right? This is, this is not a right response to the situation. This is not a right response to God showing grace to the Ninevites. But he's angry, and, and, and when you're angry, like Jonah is, you, you, you often don't think clearly. You're not thinking rationally. And so he leaves the city. He, he makes a little kind of shelter for himself, and he sits there to, to see what's going to happen to the city. Maybe, maybe, you know, part of him is thinking, I don't know, maybe I'll still get to see judgment fall. Maybe, he, maybe he's watching to see what really takes place, to see if their repentance sticks. But the sun comes out, it's hot, it's beating down on him. And so God appoints this plant to, to grow up over Jonah, to kind of miraculous, miraculously come up in, in a quick time to provide him with shade from the sun. And Jonah is exceedingly glad because of this plant. He, he's thankful for it. But the next day, God sends a worm to, to attack the plant and kill it. It withers, no more shade. And it's a particularly brutal day. It's, it's, you know, the sun is beating down. There's a scorching east wind. Jonah is, is faint because of the heat. And again, he says, it's better for me to die than to live. And once more, God spares his life. He asks about his anger again. He says, do you do well to be angry for the plant. And this time Jonah responds. He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Correction, this is the most dramatic statement in the Bible. Right? He's upset because this plant has been taken from him. And the Lord responds and ends the book. By saying this, he says, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, I, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? His point to know, or to, to Jonah, is that. Jonah cares about this plant, even though he's, he's done nothing for it, even though it was there one day and gone the next. Jonah cares about this, this insignificant thing, that he has zero involvement in his life, and he, and he spent a minuscule amount of time with. 
How much more, if Jonah cares about this plant, how much more does God care about the Ninevites, who, who he made, who he sustains their being, who he knows all the details of their lives, who he's actively involved in? Right? There's 120,000 of them, and, and animals too. And they haven't had the law like Jonah has had to, to know what's right and wrong, to know better for themselves. The answer to the question that God is asking Jonah is, is of course God should have pity on the Ninevites. God cares about his creation. He cares about the the men and women and boys and girls that that he's made. He cares enough here to send a prophet to the Ninevites to warn them about the judgment is coming so that they would have an opportunity to repent, to turn back so that he wouldn't have to send the judgment on them. He cares enough about Jonah to repeatedly spare his life, even when he asks for it to be taken from him. And ultimately, right, we know that he demonstrates the care that he has for his creation when he sends his own son into that creation so that he can redeem it, so that he can fix what's broken in us, so he can make us whole and give us the opportunity to be shown grace and mercy and experience his love and compassion. I think this book, where we see this, this, this broken and flawed prophet make mistake after mistake after mistake, should do two things for us. The first thing it should do is it should remind us that, that God cares about his creation, about, about all of it. Specifically in the Old Testament, I think it should remind us that God cares about the nations. You know, sometimes I think, I think that we, we wrongly make the mistake of thinking that things like change in, in some specific ways when we get to the New Testament, right? As if in the Old Testament, it's just, it's just all about Israel. That's all God cares about. And then we get to the New Testament, and it's like, oh, wait, now God cares about the nations too. Like as if we're like kind of plan B for him. But the reality is that if we're, if we're reading the Old Testament, if we're reading books like Jonah, if we're looking through the prophets, we see that God cares about the nations all along the way. Right here, he sends this prophet to Nineveh so that they might hear the good news of who he is and, and how they can avoid the judgment that's coming. God cares about the nations. He's cared about the Gentiles all along the way, and he's sending a redeemer to save them. And Jonah is just one of the ways in the Old Testament we see it pointing towards that future fulfillment in Jesus. The second thing that I think we should, should take away from the book of Jonah is seeing the reality that Jonah is shown more grace and mercy than anyone else in the book. And we talked about this last week. But the reason why that's the case the reason why we, he, he's shown more grace and mercy is because for us, as the readers, we know more about his sin. Right? If, if the book of Jonah was different, if instead, let's say, it was 30 chapters long, and you know, the, the middle chapters were all about the sin of the Ninevites, which, interestingly, as I was typing these sermons the past two weeks, every time I typed in the word Ninevites and hit space, it auto-corrected to the 90s. <laughs> Which I think might be a social commentary on the 90s and what they have to offer the world, but if, 
Instead, this book was, was all about the sin of the Ninevites and, and where they went wrong and how they rebelled against God. We would, we would know a whole lot more about the magnitude of the grace and mercy that was shown to them. But instead, what this book gives us is it gives us a, a picture, a window into who Jonah was and how God showed him mercy. And the reason why I bring that up is because it's important for us to recognize that that's how it works for us too. Right? I know much more about my own sin than I know about yours. And you know a whole lot more about your own sin than you know about anyone else's. And what that should do for us, it should make us realize that we know, so how, we know more about how much grace we have been shown in Jesus than we know about anyone else's. For Jonah, he should have recognized that about himself. Instead of, you know, looking towards his enemies with hate and thinking they don't deserve to be shown God's grace. They don't deserve to be given mercy. He should have seen in himself all the ways in which God had shown him mercy, shown him grace. And he should have joyfully went to proclaim that message to them so that they might be shown the same grace. We always know more of our own sin. And when we start judging other people, when we're, when we're critical, when we're, we're prideful or self-righteous or, or selfish, and we begin to think more about how, how we should be shown all these things, it's because in those moments, we're forgetting about who we really are. We're forgetting about all the ways that we fall short. We're holding people to a standard higher than the standard we hold ourselves to. Right? It's not because we're, we're noticing just how sinful they are. It's because we're not noticing just how sinful we are. It's because we've forgotten how much grace and mercy that we've been shown in Jesus. And so my encouragement to, to you and, and to me is to, to not be like Jonah. Don't, don't miss all the mercy and grace that God has shown you. But instead, remember it, treasure it, cherish it. Remind yourselves consistently throughout the week the ways in which your sins are forgiven in Jesus. And then, as you look outside of yourself towards other people in your life, the people you live with, the people you work with, the people you drive down the road with, the people you interact with in the community, remind yourselves that because you've been shown grace, you can show grace to others. Because of how broken you are, you can look past the brokenness of other people. We can be kind and compassionate and gracious because we know how much kindness and compassion and grace we've been shown in Christ. This passage shows us who we are when we forget about what Christ has done for us. But thankfully, we've been given the Spirit within us to, to remind us 
often of the grace we've been shown in Jesus. We've been given things like the Lord's Supper and worship in the church and one another to remind ourselves about the grace we've been shown in Jesus. And so I would encourage you this week to, to use this passage to press in to what Christ has done for you on the cross, to remind yourself again about the grace you've been shown so that you would live in such a way that's, that's modeling that grace to those around you, so that you wouldn't be someone who, you know, wants God to pour out judgment on other people, but instead would be thankful for the fact that he does relent when people repent. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us your spirit. And that just one of the things your spirit does is convicts us of sin. And that because of that, we'll always know more about our own brokenness. We'll always know more about the ways in which we fall short. I pray that you wouldn't help us to to overlook that or dismiss that. But instead, that would draw us closer to Jesus as we find forgiveness, as we find healing, as we find restoration for the ways in which we're still broken. That remembering again the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us would would draw us closer to him. We pray that living in that reality would cause us to, to look outward towards others, not with judgment and criticism, not with, with hatred and frustration, not with anger, but with kindness and, and graciousness and mercy and, and compassion. That we would represent you well by being who you've called us to be. And we would model the grace that we've been shown in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for for coming down here to die in our place, for, for setting an example for us to follow, and for rising again in, in victory so that we can join with you in a fight that ultimately we will win. We thank you for your sacrifice, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.